with Morgan streaking. She's chipping the goalkeeper! The pay disparity between the men and women is, is just too large and, and we want to continue to fight. Uh, the generation of players before us fought and now it's our job to, to keep on fighting. The pay cap for the women's Major League Soccer players is 11 times less than the pay cap for men's Major League Soccer. 11 times. Rapino gets across it. Listening to Give and Go with Rotas Wadera only on Girls Soccer Network. Hello and welcome. This is Give and Go on Family FM, recording inside Canal Street Studio. I am your host, Rotas Wadera, and thank you for making the choice to listen to us at Girls Soccer Network. We've got another jam-packed episode for you. There are so many different topics to cover. We're going to go all around the world with this one. Uh, could not be more excited. Let's not waste any more time. But first, how could I forget? We have to tell you all about everything that's going on at girlsoccernetwork.com and make sure that you go there right now. Follow us on all social media accounts. Go to www.girlsoccernetwork.com. And of course, on social media, Instagram, our handle is at girlsoccernetwork and our Twitter handle is at girlsoccernet. We also have a YouTube channel where we've been posting hashtag Tuesday Touches series with Strikers Elite, and we've got more on them later as you know, our as one of our sponsors. And of course, we also uh, have a ton, a ton of awesome merch, plenty of great content. Everything is there, and it's there's really is no better time to go check it out. So go right now. Also, a very special interview with. The soccer poet, Dan Blank, one of the better coaches in the game, uh, has really proven to have a tremendous amount of sec success coaching at the college level. He's also a writer of numerous books. Uh, he's really changed the game in terms of how to teach the game of soccer to younger kids. Well, not just to younger kids, but to, to anyone, really. If, if you read any one of his books, you will definitely learn a lot. So be sure we will have a lot more on that later in terms of the rest of the show we've got u.s women's national team coverage they've got a back-to-back -back set with portugal and scotland of course we've got the ncaa tournament round one has been crazy this weekend we've got all types of stuff to break down from the tournament some big big upsets that we definitely want to tell you guys about the W League, we've got some amazing Americans doing big things already. We're three, we're two to three weeks in over there, and uh, already some great things going on. Along with the NWSL draft order being set, the location, everything, we've got more of that towards the end of our show. Plus, of course, a couple of social media and lifestyle stories as well. So let's get right into it. We start with the U.S. Women's National Team against Portugal, and. It's very interesting to see, you know, it, it was not a, a perfect game by any means. Uh, they haven't played Portugal in a long time, so you're not... So in terms of preparation, when you look at what Jill Ellis and her staff and what the team had to do, you know, clearly there was not as much film to watch. There was not a certain level of familiarity with the team. So uh, 
that definitely showed on the scoreline. But again, a 1-0 win nonetheless. J-Mac getting the goal. She deserved it, even though she missed her chance earlier to get that little piece of luck for it to, for that shot to go off her and in. Uh, thrilled for her. Danny Colaprico came on as a sub for Andy Sullivan. Uh, Emily Fox also got an opportunity to start. So, a real nice opportunity for some new players to get some fresh opportunities. Uh, and the other thing that we learned is that Portugal are a better team than we all thought. And uh, they're going to be a good team moving forward. They are the hosts of the Algarve Cup. Uh, and... It's a shame, really, and I think Dan Lawletta of The Equalizer pointed this out on Twitter. Uh, it's a very interesting point that because of the level of competition at different regions and qualification for the World Cup, there are some great teams that are going to be left out. Like Portugal is in, the, in that 30 range in terms of the FIFA rankings, and they're a very good team, and they probably are not going to get to go to the World Cup, which is a shame. Uh, but yes... They definitely enjoyed their time in Lisbon. That is for sure. The U.S. Women's National Team. All of the, a lot of different athletes posting to their stories in Lisbon. It's a beautiful city. Um, you know, they definitely enjoyed themselves there. That is for sure. And of course, their second game coming up uh, against Scotland. And that's going to be a very interesting one. Uh, they are a very, another solid team. They have qualified for the World Cup and uh, the Scots are not going to back down uh, from a fight or a physical battle at all. Uh, they are uh, tough and rugged. It should be a competitive game, and they're going to make it tough. They have a very solid group of attacking players. Um, Kim Little is not in the side. We do remember her very well, what she did with the Seattle Reign in that season that they put together. But she is not in the side for this friendly. But they do have Rachel Corsi, who might be a familiar name. She is the captain for the Scottish national team. She plays for the Utah Royals, uh, a, a very uh, well-known player and someone who has been in, in, in Utah's side for, for quite some time. Well, obviously they're a new franchise, but she's been in the starting lineup uh, for, for the majority of this season. And then, of course, Lisa Evans, Jane Ross, and Aaron Cuthbert. Now, Lisa Evans, longtime uh Striker for Scotland, got a bunch of international goals, plays for Arsenal. Jane Ross is at West Ham. Aaron Cuthbert is at Chelsea. And and Cuthbert might be the most interesting of them all at just 20 years old. Uh, it's really fun to see just the number of European players that are just so young, whereas Ameri you know, our American players, unless you're, of course, Mallory Pugh or Lindsay Horan, right, You because you go to college and you – most likely go to three or four years and you graduate. Um, and of course that education is so important. You need that. Um, but it's kind of just interesting how, how that dynamic plays out. All of these younger players are so good, so young, but yes, it will be a very, very interesting matchup. And, uh, the U S are going to be tested. I can guarantee you they're going to be tested, especially at the back, which, is something that we definitely need to see. We need to see as many different players as, as possible as as they prepare for this World Cup push. And, um, yeah, it's going to be fun. I think we're a couple months away from the draw coming out. So over these next couple months, you know, qualification will fully be secured for some nations. And, and uh, yeah, we'll obviously be talking a lot about the draw, doing a group-by-group -group preview. I mean, that'll be very exciting. 
So, again, the U.S. women's national team is in great shape, but that'll be a fun matchup against Scotland, and I'm very interested to see how that goes. Now, the NCAA tournament has been on, and this truly is, uh, for me, regardless of the tournament, in terms of college sports, when you get a big bracket like that, uh, whether it's, you know, obviously March Madness and college basketball is huge, huge here. But um, to see it in in this soccer format with the women is is just as exciting for me. You have so many different schools, so many different uh, storylines and different styles of play coming together to see who is the best. And uh, the first round definitely gave us some crazy, crazy moments. The Lipscomb... Lady Bison, yes, you heard that right. The Lipscomb Lady Bison uh, from Tennessee in the Atlantic Sun Conference, okay, went into Starkville, Mississippi, where Mississippi State resides, okay, and beat them in double overtime. Their senior leader, their senior captain, their senior leader and senior captain, Justice Bailey, provided the winner in double overtime. I mean, you want to talk about dramatic? Man, uh, it does not get much better than that. Probably the biggest upset of the tournament so far. And to make things even more interesting, they get to play the Duke Blue Devils, who are one of the better teams in the country. They were actually able to survive a very, very solid Rutgers team, 1-0. Unfortunately, Rutgers will have to go home. Uh, but Duke poses a lot of problems. Unfortunately, they did lose Carly Pascal, one of their leading defenders. She hurt her Achilles, and that's bad news for them. We do hope she gets better. But uh, Duke are a very, very, um, you know, that's going to be a tough task for Lipscomb to try to keep their Cinderella story going against Duke. The second big upset of the tournament, uh, the Hofstra Pride and... Down in Long Island, man, they got some players. They literally took Boston College to school. Boston College was the number four seed in that region, and uh, Hofstra took them to school, and the, some of the goals did come later on, but to win 4-1 comprehensively, as to win as comprehensively as they did, uh, speaks a lot to, to the, not only the matchup that they had, they clearly were not afraid going in. And so for them to go in, go into Boston and, and get a win like that speaks a lot to them. And then now they have to play a team that was also in the top 25 for most of the season, uh, did not get a top four uh, seed in the tournament, but um, still is a solid team out of the Big Ten, Wisconsin. So Hofstra will uh, have some will have an opportunity here to get to the Sweet 16 and, and take on an even bigger opponent. So that'll be fun to keep your eye on. Again, most of these games will be at the end of this week, I believe, November 16th. Another uh, fun matchup that, that went on was uh, Kansas and St. Louis. Now, usually the matchup is Kansas and Missouri. There is a border war that, that, runs, that runs deep in our nation's country. And uh, still, St. Louis, in, of course, in the same state, the St. Louis Billikens, um, played a tough, tough battle Kansas would come out on top in double overtime. Again, another double OT game. I mean, what more can you say about these games? 
you're just going to get so many golden goals, so many dramatic winners. I mean, it really it doesn't get much better than this to have these many games on all at once. That to have that first round of games on that first, you know, on that fir- on the first weekend, uh, it's it really is uh, great to see so many great moments. Uh, Virginia Tech in a, in a slight upset uh, out of the ACC were able to beat Texas one nil, and that was uh, I mean you could consider it an upset, but again two power five schools you could absolutely chalk it up as a, as as a coin flip, and uh, Virginia Tech was able to eke that one out. What was also crazy, the Tennessee Vols, one of the better teams out of the SEC, came from behind to beat Louisville 2-1, to one, a double from their best player who has been carrying them, Khadijah Shaw. She is so, so good. She has been through a tremendous amount. And, uh, I mean, what more can you say about her? She scored this goal where um, it, it really, you could argue that it, it goes under, that it goes under that, qualification of whether it was in between a cross or a shot but the bottom line is she chipped it up towards the back post and uh ball finds its way in and it was a spark that they needed because they were trailing to louisville and she gets two goals uh to pretty much carry them into the next round and as and the vols the lady vols will go as far as as shaw takes them which uh which is gonna be fun because any again what's great about the tournament is is that you have the the powerful schools who who have a mix of either experienced seniors or a mix of experienced and young players, and you have some teams out of the Power Five who are carried by two or three just really great players, and of course you have the underdogs like in this tournament, the Hostras and the and the Lipscombs of the world. You know, uh, that's what makes this so fun, and um, Tennessee is going to be uh, a tough tough team. Uh, as long as Khadija Shaw is is keeping this level of of play up, because she's she's putting on uh, she's putting on a show right now, at least through round one. Uh, in terms of other big news from the tourney in round one, the Georgetown Hoyas gave up a surprising one uh, nil advantage to Central Connecticut State, but they would respond. Uh, upset was avoided, three one. Uh, won pretty easily in the end, um, but still putting them on upset alert, okay? Because guess who they got in the next round? This is a Washington State team, the Washington State Cougars, that uh, out of the Pac-12, I'm telling you, they gave every single, all of those top teams, you're looking at Colorado, USC, UCLA, and Stanford, right? Every single one of them, you know, fits. Tough defensive-minded, and they are the type of team that can stifle Georgetown's high-powered offense. And if they can stop Caitlin Farrell, then they have a great chance of taking out a number one seed in the Georgetown Hoyas. Texas A&M, another SEC team, did well against North Texas, a perennial, uh, a perennial consistent program uh, in terms of a mid-major, North Texas have a very strong program, and so it was a one-nil win for A&M, and uh, they will be um, another tough team. I mean, we'll have to see where they fall. Um, you know, all it is is survive in advance, right? And so, while they may not be happy with their performance to only win one-nil, uh, you have to again to just take it one game at a time 
we've got some fun second round matchups as a result. Uh, Vanderbilt was able to dispatch of Murray State, and Baylor handled their opponent pretty easily. So you're looking at in the second round, the best team out of the Big 12. Okay, they didn't win the. I don't think they won the conference tournament, but the best team in the Big 12 regular season versus the best team in the SEC regular season, Vanderbilt. Because Vanderbilt also did not win, but to have two of the best teams in the country, these are two top 10 teams, and they're playing each other in the, in the second round. Uh, that is going to be a very high, hotly contested matchup. Uh, another big one, UCLA, a popular trendy pick to, to get to a Final Four, as they should. And a tough matchup with Minnesota. Again, the Big Ten playing in, uh, you know, they, they are used to their cold conditions up in Minnesota. And, uh, you know, they pose a different kind of, of threat to UCLA. So we'll see how they can deal with that, the Bruins. Um, but, again, they should get the job done in that one. Tennessee and Arizona, two big-time schools. Again, we mentioned Khadijah Shaw and what she's capable of. So... That'll also be fun to see if they can keep going and get to the Sweet 16. Now, without further ado, as I mentioned earlier, Dan Blank, we got a, an opportunity to speak with him. Uh, great soccer mind, and uh, hope you enjoy it. Here it is. So, Dan, starting off, uh, how are things currently going at Widener, and how did this season go as a whole for you guys? Uh, well, we finished... Um, our season seven, seven, and three. Uh, I, I thought overall it was a, a pretty fantastic year. Um, I, I've never had a team that uh, improved so consistently throughout the throughout the course of a season. I mean, ex- extremely coachable kids, uh, but more than that, and I've coached a lot of teams that had you know a whole lot of extremely coachable players. Uh, kind of the difference, and I don't, I can't. I've been trying to wrap my head around and figure and figure out why. But the dif- difference with this team is um, they were so good at taking something that we went over at training and applying it on game day. Uh, it, it felt like we got better at something each and every game. And um, I, you know, it was about the ninth game of the season after afterward, and I and I was thinking, you know, gosh, that was that we did some of our best stuff of the year uh, tonight. And I was like, man, that's, that's about the fifth or sixth game in a row where I've, where I've said that or thought that. And um, it, it just never, I've never had a team that sort of went on just one long um, ascent from, from beginning of the season to the end. Um, you know, I was, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of passing the ball and, and keeping possession and, um, I remember the first day of preseason, uh, I did a, did one of my favorite possession exercises, and it was just, it was it wasn't good. <laughs> and then, um, you know, a, a month later, we're doing the same exercise, and I'm I'm sitting there, I'm just going, wow, like I I can't believe how good we've gotten at some of this stuff. So, uh, great group of kids, uh, loved working with them. Uh, had four fantastic seniors. Uh, who unfortunately, I, you know, I only had the pleasure of coaching for one season, but, you know, the tremendous leaders cared a lot about their teammates. And through the transition of, of losing one coach and hiring another, they did, they did everything to kind of keep the program together, uh, keep the recruiting intact. So uh, it's, it's just been a great experience. 
sports and with the the season just coming to a close, have you taken some time to sort of take some time off or are you already looking ahead to next year? <laughs> I was going to try, um, but I just uh, – we found out last night we've actually qualified for another postseason tournament called the ECAC. So um, we have uh, potentially – we definitely have a game this Saturday – and then if we win that, we play again on Sunday. So we're right back out to training tonight. So my plans for taking a few days off, we're, we're going to start today. And, um, yeah, those those plans are going to have to be shelved for, for at least a week. Mm-hmm. Hopefully more. <laughs> and I want to yeah, definitely get into your books as well. Obviously, you're you know a very accomplished writer in terms of your books and what you've put out there. Uh, first thing I wanted to get into was uh, in your book, Everything Your Coach Never Told You Because You're a Girl, uh, you mentioned that there are two types of players, those who get it and those who don't. Uh, do you feel like those who don't have the ability to change, have you had an instance where a player kind of figured it out and it clicked and, and they really improved and got better? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, you know, I think, again, exactly like you said, you know, there's there's some players who come in and they and they get it right off the bat. Uh, there's going to be players on the other end who, chances are, are never going to get it. But there's there's a middle group, and they're going to kind of fall to one side of the fence or the other, and that depends uh, a lot on the, on the culture you've built within your team. It's going to depend a lot on the leadership of the of the team's core, the, that group of players that kind of um, sets the tone for everything. So yeah, I've definitely seen players. Players um, kind of go from, uh, you know, average competitors into cutthroat competitors. And uh, it's it's remarkable when it happens. You know, you know you have it in them. I, I think for, for some of them, it, you know, it, it's probably been, for lack of better phrasing, beaten out of them over the course of, of you know, growing up uh, as a female and being, you know, told to get – along and play nice and, and so forth. And, and we kind of beat down that, that competitive instinct, but if it's in there, the objective is to, to bring it to the surface. And, uh, you mentioned culture and you've coached at every single level, pretty much at, at in terms of college at division one, division three, how do you instill and build that winning culture that, that you preach and talk about? Well, it helps to have the right people. Uh, I, I think everything starts with, strong leadership within the team. There's a, you know, after I had written uh, everything your coach never told you, I I found a a video, a Ted talk by a guy named Derek Sivers. And the the name of the talk is how to build a movement. And it it basically the kind of the, the overwhelming or underlying theme of, of the video is, is that people don't follow the leader. People follow the, the leader's first follower. Right. So if you get you get that player in place who can hold sway with her teammates, you know, and if you get the right one, if you get that that kind of competitive uh, monster, so to speak, the players will follow her. And so for, for me, it starts with finding that leader from within who can kind of take the coach's message to the masses and and, and the people will start following her. So uh, it starts with that. And then, you know, you've, you've constantly got to look for ways to put them in environments where they're competing. And it can be, you know, it can be on the field. It can be off the field. It can be, you know, uh, when I was coaching at Embry-Riddle, 
one of our things was uh, if we drove to a lot of games in vans and, you know, if we were driving to a game, the players got to pick the radio station. After the game, on the way home, if we won, the players kept control of the radio station. But if we lost, I got control of the radio station. <laughs> and, you know, we we're going to listen to oldies for, for the ride home. Um, so that was a way to, to kind of set up competition. And, and uh, you know, if we, if we were on the road and we won, uh, our post-game meal was a sit-down meal. If we lost, we were, we were getting fast food. So I, I was always trying to put a little bit of added um, incentive or value, some kind of trophy on on everything we did. And I wanted them to, to kind of exist in a world where competing was the norm. And, um, you know, it took a while, but, but we got there and, um, it was, it was a really cool thing to watch and, and to just, just observe the players. You know, we'd be on a, a bus ride somewhere and the players would be playing, uh, cards. They'd be playing the game of hearts. And I don't know if you know, if you've ever played hearts, but you know, you get the right people in there and it's just who can cheat the best. And, um, you know, the, the players would be, you know, before players playing this game of hearts and they would just start screaming at each other and laughing. And after, you know, each hand they're, you know, they're accusing each other of cheating and, you know, the other groups accusing the first group of cheating and they're laughing all the while. And, you know, I would, I'd say, look, you know, can you guys keep it down a little bit? And they, you know, they quiet down for about 10 seconds and then it would start all over again. But I've, I've been on countless bus rides with, with kids playing card games it was never like that. It was never so competitive. And um, it was moments like that that I was like, man, we, we've got something here. Yeah, yeah and uh, the phrase winners win and winners win. Tell us more about where that came from and how su successful you've been in implementing it everywhere you've gone. Well, the bottom line, and Embry Riddle, particularly, I think it was our second year maybe our, th our third year we were um we were really we'd gotten really good at working hard and we were territorially dominant in most games um but we weren't always getting the result to go with it and it was it was very frustrating because we were leaving a lot of winnable games on the table and i just kept trying to get the message across like look we can't call ourselves winners and until we until we get the results to go with it you know winners don't just come close winners win and that was kind of you know became our theme and so we would say that a lot you know it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if you if you're the the best team on the day or the second best team the winners are going to find a way to win and we would you know use that expression in, in every you know exercise we did it, it came up almost on a daily basis and so literally the second part of it came from um a game we played against a team called Northwood University. And it was a game where we were, and this didn't happen very often, but on that day, you know, nothing really was going our way. And um, we ended up kind of stealing a result. Uh, we ended up winning two to one, I think it was. And uh, after the game, I, I kind of was talking to one of the players on the bus and uh, I happened to say, winners win. And uh, a girl named Jessica Garcia, one of our forwards, happened to be walking by at that moment. And she just added the second part. She said, and winners win. And uh, that became kind of our, our thing from that point forward, right? There's winners are going to find a way. That's just, that's just the reality of the situation. There's always a way. You, you've just got to 
dig a little harder uh, to, to make it happen. How different is it coaching Division three to Division one in terms of skill, in terms of style of play, things like that? Well, uh, let me say this. What, what doesn't change is the game, right? Like soccer's soccer. It's 22 players, two goals, and a ball. Uh, so you're still teaching the same things. Uh, I remember years ago seeing an interview with uh, Pete Rose, who at the time was coaching his son in Little League. And he, he made the comment something like, you know, the things we coach in Little League are the same things you coach major league players at. And it's the same thing across the, the divisions, right? Um, it's just, it doesn't matter if you're talking about D1 or D3 or NAI because the principles of soccer don't change. Uh, you know, you got to figure out who your best players are and you, f- you figure out the best way to organize them uh, to accomplish a style of play that, that fits their abilities. I mean, that's coaching regardless of the label. Um, another thing that, that doesn't change is, is the love for the game, uh, you know, love for teammates and, and love for the experience. Uh, that passion doesn't vary according to the labels either. Um, you know, the D3 kid who scores a game-winning goal in overtime uh, or wins a big game or a conference championship is just as, just as excited as the D1 player who does the same thing. You know, and, and when the season ends or a career ends, the Division One kid doesn't cry any harder than the Division Three player. Uh, the, emo- the emotional investment uh, transcends the, the divisions. Um, you know, the, the most noticeable difference is obviously going to be the, the level of athleticism. You know, Division One players are, for the most part, going to be bigger and faster uh, than the D3 kids. And a lot of them are going to be, you know, technically a little bit more adept. Um, but by and large, the, you know, at Division One, the game's going to be faster and it's going to be more physical. Um, so that's that was kind of the, the, the biggest uh, adjustment is, you know, getting players to kind of play at a, a level of speed that's a little faster than than what they're used to. Is there a particular part of the game um, that you enjoy the most, like in terms of coaching offense or defense or implementing a new defensive strategy? What's kind of your favorite thing about the process <clears throat> when it comes to coaching? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I, I don't really have a, a favorite – um, you know, I don't favor coaching defenders or, or, or coaching attackers. Um, you know, I, I, I enjoy all of it. I enjoy the, the organization of a team and, and getting the players to, um, you know, understand how to make adjustments. Um, one of the one of the really cool things about this team this year was, and I told you they 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 took what we did in training and, and would it would just apply it. It's like they had no fear. Um, to apply the things we went over in training against live ammunition. So, for example, our movement in advance of the ball, so the movement of our forwards, um, was fairly exceptional uh, compared to any team that I've ever coached. You know, for for 25 years, for example, I've been trying to get, you know, if the ball is on one side of the field, I've been trying to get the center forward to, you know, move away from the ball to – to drag a defender away from the ball and then create a scene for the weak side winger to kind of run through. And it, we, we've done it. I've done it in practice for 25 years. It just, it happens so rarely in an actual game uh, until this year, this year, you know, the, 
the amount of movement we had when we had possession of the ball was was really fantastic. I mean, we were doing some, for lack of a better phrase, advanced stuff. Uh, so many overlaps. Like we became, that became kind of a signature of ours, you know, um, overlaps, whether it's a, an outside back overlapping a, a winger or, you know, it's a center forward overlapping a winger or whatever. Uh, our, our movement um, was just really something special. And it's not like I haven't been teaching the same thing for 25 years, right? It's just this, this group just wasn't afraid to, to apply stuff. Um, and I think when you see that, when you see a, a, a team kind of latch on to something you've tried to teach them and then actually apply it in the game and they get success from it, that's really satisfying. I really enjoy that part of on the field coaching. Um, now, overall, I, I, I got to say that I think my favorite part of, of coaching in general is just being a part of a team, right? Like I think anybody who goes into coaching for a living probably enjoyed, you know, or probably loved being a part of a team as much as they loved playing the game itself. Um, and I know that certainly applies to me. So just, you know, I, I love the relationships with the players. I love, you know, the bus rides, um, just getting to know the kids. Uh, you know, that's, that to me is kind of the, the real joy of, of doing a job like this. And, you know, you're, you're obviously a very busy guy coaching and writing and doing all these different things. Do you have a tough time maintaining like a work life balance or is it, or is soccer really just your life? Yeah, there's no balance. <laughs> yeah. If you, if you go into coaching, if, if you're going to do it well, I don't, you know, some some coaches have figured out uh, how to balance it. I'm not one of them. Um, there's, you know, being a coach, having a team is a never-ending project. Having a program is a never-ending project. You know, you're, there's always room to get better. Um, there's always recruiting to be done. There's always video to watch. You know, and and you can, you know, you can approach it one one of two ways. You can kind of pass it off, or you can uh, you can throw yourself into it. And I, I'm kind of addicted, um, to throwing myself into it. You know, I want to, I look at, at the pro. I look at the head coaching role as, you know, I'm ultimately responsible for everything good and or bad that happens within our program. So, um, if, if something is going to happen, that's, that's not great. It's not going to be because I got outworked, right. I'm not going to let my work rate tilt the scales in somebody else's favor. Um, that's just kind of how I'm wired. So it's really got to be all or nothing all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for me, it, it, it has been right. And, and, um, you know, when, uh, I actually took a couple of years off of coaching simply because of that, because there was no work life balance. I was just, you know, by the time, um, I was finished in Georgia, I was, I was spent, man. I was burnt out. Um, so much travel, so many hours of, of watching video. Um, it was, you know, you'd go three and a half months at times without a day off. Uh, you know, that's, that's a tough way to live. And so by the time it was over, I was like, you know what, I need to step away from coaching for a while. I need to, you know, just go to the beach, catch some fish and, uh, and get my, uh, my passion back. 
Now, in your in your book, Soccer IQ, uh, you detail the different ways that players can make themselves stand out uh, during the recruiting process, which I thought was very interesting. What's the most interesting story you've dealt with involving a player trying to get your attention? Wow. Great question again. Um, I'll tell you what. I remember a recruiting letter. This was when I was back at Ole Miss. And it was it was just a letter. It was kind of typical. It was just short to the point. It was, there was going to be a, a showcase tournament down in Texas. And this kid wrote us. And the last line of her letter was, I'll be easy to spot. I'm, I'll be the fastest kid on the field. Wow. <laughs> like, all right. And, and sure enough, we made a point to go watch her. Um, and she was the fastest kid on the field for sure. Um, that's, that's one that sticks out. Uh, these days, you know, you're, you're getting bombarded with so much video. Um, you know, and it's <laughs> recruiting on video. I, I think what a lot of, kids kind of don't understand is the, the reason to send video isn't to get yourself a scholarship offer. It's to get a coach to come watch you play. Uh, very rarely are you going to be so good on video that somebody is going to say, all right, we're giving you, you know, X amount of dollars or anything like that. Uh, it's the idea is to entice a coach, you know, to give him enough of a reason that at the next showcase event, he's going to make a point uh, of seeing you play. And so that's probably the biggest piece of advice you'd give, like to our listeners, especially who are in kind of that that group, you know, to really just focus on getting a coach to to watch you. Yeah, I don't know if it's it's the that's that's a big piece of advice, right? Like you're you're trying to get seen, and there's there's a number of ways to do that. Uh, video has certainly become kind of the standard, right? You, you you get a video, hopefully it's well done, you know, it's four minutes, five minutes long, you stick it up on YouTube and you, you invite coaches to look at it and, and hopefully, you know, there's, there are coaches who like what, and like what they see enough that they're going to come see you in person. Um, I think the, the biggest piece of advice I can give players and it, now this is definitely the best advice I can give a player. Uh, and keep in mind, I've coached at, you know, very big schools and I've coached at very small schools. <sighs> Find a program where, one, you're, you're going to be happy at that university even if the coach leaves. Um, so, you know, don't base your decision solely on the coach. And the second thing is find a program where you're going to play college soccer. Um, you know, it's, college soccer is a lot more fun to, to play than to watch. And, um, you know, I, this was a, a kind of a lesson I, I tried to impart to a lot of kids who – wanted to come to the University of Georgia. I mean, got almost every kid in the state, every soccer playing kid in that state would have loved to have gone to UGA. Um, if we wanted to, we literally could have carried a roster of, of 70 players. Um, but there were so many kids that just came, you know, begging for a roster spot saying, look, I, I, it doesn't matter if I don't play. I just want to be a part of it. I'll be happy to just train and, and so forth. And, and what all those kids have in common is, or almost all of them, is they weren't happy uh, to just watch, right? You're used to being the best player in your high school team. Um, you're used to being on a high-level club team. And then all of a sudden, you're at a program where, you know what, the, the pond just got a lot bigger. The fish just got a lot bigger. And, 
and now instead of playing soccer, uh, instead of starting, instead of playing, you know, now there's days when you're not even on the bus for, for an away game. So, um, it's hard to be happy like that if soccer's in your blood. So my advice is, you know, do your research and find a program where you're going to actually have a legitimate chance to get on the field. Um, because I, it's, there's so few players that are going to be satisfied to sit there and watch their teammates play. Again, that was the soccer poet, Dan Blank, who has coached all over the map. He's coached at Ole Miss. He's coached at Georgia uh, in the SEC. He's coached at the Division Three level at Embry-Riddle. Um, that's really the time that he documents in his books, uh, like Soccer IQ and Everything Your Coach Never Told You Because You Were a Girl. Uh, two really great reads, and just you learn a tremendous amount and reinforce a lot of key topics about the game of soccer, not just about how to play the game physically, but how to play the game cerebrally and how to just be mentally mentally tough as well as physically tough, and that is so, so important. And uh, for him to, to stress that and have these books out, they are so critical. And so, again, go to www.soccerpoet.com or, you know, he has his books on Amazon as well. Uh, he currently uh, is at Widener University uh, in the... Uh, Widener University, yes, in in Pennsylvania. So back at the D3 level, um, planning on, he took a little break, and now he's back into coaching. So, again, we were happy to speak with him. And, uh, yeah, again, www.soccerpoet.com. And now a word from our sponsors, Topical Gear. Topical Gear was formed in 2011 by a team of professionals from the orthopedic sports medicine field. Collectively, this team has over two centuries of knowledge in athletic training, biomechanics, product development, manufacturing, orthopedic sports medicine, arthroscopy, and the pioneering of products in the sports medicine market. Their team is constantly on the field or in the gym, getting feedback directly from parents, players, coaches, and athletic trainers as part of their continuing effort to develop products that help increase female athletes' performance while keeping them healthy. All of their products are backed by professional published research and are tested by real athletes at both the high school and college level. All of you soccer players, parents, and other athletes out there, go to www.compressioninmotion.com and check out the T25 knee along with other shoulder and ankle products. Now we shift our focus to the W League, and as I mentioned at the top of the show, the Americans are doing really, really well. Uh, Orlando Pride player Jasmine Spencer, uh, sorry, Orlando Pride traded to the Seattle Reign player Jasmine Spencer uh, is on loan with the defending champion, the three-time defending champion Melbourne City in the W League, and she scored her first hat-trick of her career, the first hat-trick of her career, and then on top of that, it was the club's first hat-trick in league history which is crazy. They've won three straight titles, and, and not one time during their dominance do they have a player score hat trick. That is a little surprising. But again, it was Jasmine Spencer. She was clinical in front of goal, taking all of her chances. Um, that's really what she's capable of, and we're happy to see her doing so well. Other player is Carson Pickett, and uh, two goals in as many games. Seriously, she is so crafty, and she has adapted so well right and that's 
really the biggest thing that she's mentioned um, in previous interviews is how she's had to adapt and not necessarily, you know, let the fact that she, you know, she plays with one arm hinder her in any way. In fact, she's used it to her advantage. And uh, that's it's really paying dividends for her right now already in Australia. And she's quickly, quickly becoming a fan favorite down there. There's another player who I've going into last year and then coming into this season. Uh, there's this Australian t- teenager. Yeah, I know. Another Australian teenager. But her name is Melina Ayers. And uh, she is a a maestro, a technical magician when it comes to striking a ball because she has put together already a highlight reel of long-distance goals uh, for, I believe, Sydney FC. And uh, if Ellie Carpenter can come over and, and make such a big impact for Portland, it's only a matter of time, right? I mean, the NWSL has got to get eyes on this girl because she uh, is so talented and I think could really open things up in a league where, again, I've said it before, it's it is defensive minded, and again, nothing wrong with that. But um, to have um, again more of those flair players, that's what we're looking for, and she definitely has it. There was also an eight-goal thriller between the Perth Glory, uh, Sam Kerr's team, and Ellie Carpenter's team, Canterbury United, down a player. Perth scored three goals in eight minutes. Okay, and then another 16-year-old, okay, another 16-year-old, right? Sam Kerr said it in our first interview. If you're young enough and you're good enough, you're going to play. And 16-year-old Leticia McKenna sparked it with an absolute blinder of a goal uh, that she hit. So it started there. Uh, That was to make it 4-3 after Chicago Red Stars' Alyssa Motz scored to make it 4-2. An own goal that was created by Sam Kerr topped and completed the comeback to make it 4-4. A crazy result there. You don't see many situations where you, where your team is down a player, down three goals, and you come back and score those in less than 10 minutes. That's, uh, that's pretty crazy. That's, that's very rare. And, uh, you know, not something that happens often. And that team that usually gives up the goals, so Canterbury United will be very, very disappointed. But, uh, yeah, Sam Kerr and and Perth keeping it going. And what's also crazy about the W League is that through two games, not a single team was able to win two and two already. So that means that, you know, already it's, it's been this competitive and, you know, it'll it'll be interesting to see if anyone in the W League is capable of pulling off what the Courage did and, and maybe going uh, with one loss or even bettering them and going unbeaten. But we'll see. Uh, there's a lot more going on in the W League, and we will keep you updated with that as, as that season moves on. Now, uh, a word from another one of our sponsors, Strikers Elite. Based out of Las Vegas, Nevada, Striker Elite develops confident, creative, and elite players in soccer and for life. After instructing players seeking to play at the highest level, Coach George Nahorski quickly recognized the need for an environment that helped these players excel at a rapid pace. That's where the creation of an academy that would specialize in training soccer players was born. Focusing on player development, 
The curriculum at Stryker Elite emphasizes technical skills, tactical awareness, mental toughness, character, leadership, and confidence. They currently have U.S. Development Academy, ECNL, ODP, and college players at Stryker Elite, as well as aspiring players seeking to play professionally. Stryker Elite trainers are qualified and have extensive playing and coaching experience. Whether you're, you're a club player looking to take your game to the next level and become a college or professional player, they will help you fulfill your goals. They provide elite one-on-one -on -one training, partner training, small group and team training, plus elite camps. For more information, go to www.strikerelitesoccer.com. Again, I mentioned our YouTube channel earlier and how we've been doing a series with Strikers Elite called Hashtag Tuesday Touches. Again, all the, a lot of cool different drills and, and dribbling uh, tips and tricks that you can do and use in order to improve your game, improve your footwork, improve your skill level, your first touch, everything. So definitely be sure to go check that out. Okay. Uh, time to tell you a little bit more about what's going on in the world of social media, but also what's going on in terms of lifestyle and everything that is on our website in terms of all of that. Now, last podcast I mentioned that Erica Timrak of the Utah Royals um, was going to be the kind of like a vegan uh, connoisseur for us, if you will. Uh, and really kind of provide, similar to what Jen Hoy has been doing with us, um, you know, Erica Timrak is going to do that in terms of veganizing and veganizing certain recipes that she uses in terms of being a vegan athlete and how it's done wonders for her. Again, we've got a video, again, on our YouTube channel, also on our website. Uh, she's uploaded a video, again, for you guys. And that's really exciting. So, again, if you're looking to make the transition of being a vegan athlete, right, it's all about what you put into your body, right? If you want to be running at your absolute best, if you want to be at your optimal performance and you want to reach your full potential, right, it's got to be about what you eat and what you put into your body, no matter what. And what you put in is what you're going to get. And so, uh, again, to have to make that switch and for her to say, you know, I want to do it for the animals and um, for her to say, you know, for her to make that decision and then commit to it and have it work for her, you know, it, it's really an amazing thing to see. And hopefully, you know, more and more people, um, you know, jump in on that because, again, clean eating is great eating for you, for your mind, your body, your soul, everything. Another uh, cool story uh, that we have on our site uh, FIFA has now doubled the prize money for winning the Women's World Cup. And while it may not be, uh, you know, the equality that we all want, it, again, is still a small step in the right direction. And I guess we have to understand that, uh, you know, Rome was not built in a day. It will not um, be that easy of a process. And it will not um, go as, as fast as, you know, we, we think it may. So it must be... You know, we, it must be dealt with with patience and, and, you know, slowly but surely we will get there from 15 to 30 million. Um, there's also a ton of information still about how, you know, there's a an, an issue with, with the lack of equality and everything else. And that's all on the website, uh, all in that piece. So definitely, again, go to www 
www.girlsoccernetwork.com. And the ECNL uh, is introducing a HER, H-E-R, referee scholarship program. Uh, a really, really awesome idea and a really, really cool way to get female referees more into the game to kind of develop them at a younger age so that we, so that again we can see um we can get some more representation and so that you know women should be obviously refereeing uh the game they should again having either being a referee or as a trained referee as a player you know they're gonna have better insight out on the field uh so um in terms of the women's game so this is uh, a really awesome thing and hopefully you know the ECNL can continue to 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 roll with this and we can start a a you know it'll it'll be a big thing for for creating you know more and more female referees and that's what we need and last but certainly not least the NWSL draft order just came out and uh it's very exciting for Chicago, uh, this is going to be a Chicago-themed draft. That is for sure. It will be January 10th in Chi-Town when the United Soccer Coaches Convention will be going on. Uh, I believe, yeah, that weekend from the 9th to the 13th. So the 10th will be the draft. It was a huge deal for the Red Stars to get that number one pick um, from the Utah Royals for the rights to Kristen Press. They have seven picks overall in the draft, which is the most of any team. Uh, Rory Dames and his staff are going to be licking their chops uh, to get their hands on some players, some young players that are talented that they can develop and build around their core of their really solid core of players. Because as I've mentioned in the past, they really are not too far away uh, from being a real, real uh, contender in the NWSL. So, of course, the Chicago Red Stars get the number one pick. Uh, Sky Blue, again, will go back-to-back and go two and three in the draft. The Washington Spirit are picking fourth. The North Carolina Courage are picking fifth. The Chicago Red Stars, again, have picks at six and seven, you know, three picks in the top seven, that is uh, going to be so huge for them. And, and if they hit right on all of those picks, right, if all three of those players that they get uh, end up, you know, becoming solid players for them, it it will be huge for them to have traded away Kristen Press and, and to have gotten enough back in return. But we'll see. You know, anything is possible. They could trade Chicago. You know, Chicago could trade one of those picks away in order to get a different piece from a different team, a different player. So you never know. The Washington Spirit pick eighth. Again, they have another pick. And then the Seattle Reign are at nine. Portland does not have a pick. Neither do Utah. Again, this is all because of trades that went down uh, prior to, you know, the season, whether it be last year or the year before. Uh so, yeah, that'll be an interesting first round, and obviously there are a couple. So we'll see, you know, how um, teams do in, in the later rounds. And there can be some gems. There will be some gems, and we will get a lot more into that, you know, as the draft approaches. We will definitely be doing a draft preview 
taking a look at some of the best of the best in, in college soccer and who will be going pro to play in the NWSL. It's going to be really, really fun. And uh, that is it for me. I am your host, Rotas Wadera. Thank you so, so much for tuning in. Uh, next time on the show, the NCAA tournament will be down to the final four. Uh, that's, again, the final four is what every you know college uh, hopes to get to in athletics. You know, not just to get to the final four, but to win the national championship. It's always seen as a big stepping stone uh, and a big accomplishment. So we'll have all that on the next episode. Thank you so much for tuning in, guys. Again, Give and Go is presented in partnership with the Listening Party, the creators of Family FM. Follow the crew on Instagram at Listening Party Presents and at Canal Street Market. Again, this is your host, Rotas Rudera. Give and Go, Episode 6 is in the books. See you guys next time.